0: that great awesome this is one of those times that like God has orchestrated a wonderful worship set uh, thank you brother David uh, the way it all even the song Josh is saying just fits in so much with what we want to teach today and really what we want to teach in this series that we are now in and it's called strange thanksgivings and of course it's leading up to Thanksgiving but the whole point is this that that God is mysterious and God is sometimes acts in strange ways and he introduces things that are difficult, surprising, and he brings these things into our life and often they cause us to thank God in a totally different way. And today I'm just so excited about the scripture we have. It's a very, very wonderful scripture. Now, remember last week though, First Thessalonians in chapter 5, remember Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonica was a church and Paul wrote them a couple of letters and this was in the first one. And in chapter 5, we learned three things that were very crucial last week that tie in so well this week and in our lives. The first is this, that God calls us to be joyful. The scripture said, rejoice always. We are to be filled with joy. And we learn, by the way, that that's not something we manufacture. That is something that when we become Christ followers, when we receive the Holy Spirit at that point, that joy is one of those things we receive. It's kind of like we become a conduit. We open the faucet and joy is allowed to come out. And happiness is controlled by our circumstances But joy is not. It is a great thought. It would really, really help us. Then he said that we're to pray without ceasing. And understanding that he's not calling us to get in our private prayer closet and fold our hands and pray that way, we should do that. But he was speaking about walking daily in prayer. That is, as we journey through life, as God brings circumstances, as God brings people to our mind, as God brings uh, other situations to our mind, we just utter short, simple prayers to God. Sometimes out loud. Sometimes in our heart. But he encourages us to be prayerful. And then he tells us to be Thankful. And what's strange about this, you know, there are certain things that are so easy to be thankful for and sometimes are more difficult because the verse says, be thankful in all circumstances. And then to cap it all off, attached separately says this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God's will for his children, well, part of his will for his children is that we are joyful, we are Prayerful and we are thankful. And when we practice those three things, incredible things begin happening in our life. So today we want to look at, if I if I had to sum it down to one question, one statement, and this is a question, it's this how far, how far will God go to save a man? Or a woman? Or a child? How far will God go to save a man, to save a woman? To save a child, and I think what you may be surprised, and you may not be surprised. Our scripture today comes from Acts chapter sixteen. Acts chapter sixteen. We're going to start in verse number twenty-two. Now, the bottom line is this: we have a couple guys named Paul and Silas. Paul, you've probably heard of. Silas, if you're a Bible person, you may have heard of. And and they get this like Paul gets this vision, and a guy from Macedonia says. Come over and tell us about Jesus. And so Paul goes. And what's unique and very important for us, by the way, is this is Paul's first foray, first journey into Europe. And we can be very grateful for this visit because it opened the gospel to Europe of which most of us are descendants. So they get there and, you know, again, Paul's a great missionary in Silas. And they look for a place where they thought people might gather for prayer. They meet a lady named Lydia and she becomes a Christ follower. She knew about God but didn't know about Jesus. She became a Christ follower. And so that opened opportunity for them to continue to share the gospel. Well, there's this young girl that, that tags along behind them, not a member of the group. In fact, the Bible says she's possessed by a demon. But what's really weird is her message is this. She kind of runs behind them going, hey, these guys are true servants of the living God. Listen to what they've got to say. And I thought it was kind of funny because the Bible says literally that Paul listened to this for several days. I'm kind of wondering why on day one he didn't turn around and go, we need to talk. Okay, but he did and went on for several days and finally he said enough is enough and he commands the demon to come out of the girl. It does. Now, what what was amazing about this, this demon enabled this girl to tell the future. So she was a slave to some people there in town and they were making tons of money on her ability to tell the future. Well, when the demon went, guess what else went? The ability to tell the future. And her masters got really, really angry. And the bottom line is they stirred up the pot. They accused Paul and Silas of teaching customs that are not lawful to Romans and all kinds of things like that. And so they basically dragged them before the magistrates. Okay, And the magistrates are going to beat them and throw them in jail ultimately. So we're going to start reading actual scripture in verse number 22. That's where we want to pick this up. And we're going to see, again, exercise how it is. One, how far will God go to save a man, a woman, or a child? Two, our role in that. And three, the results of that. All right, let's look. In verse number 22 of Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that the mob joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, you know, welcome to Europe, okay? After they inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Wow, like I said, welcome to Europe. And keep in mind, all they did was cast out a demon from a girl. Well, that's not all they did. They stirred up the pot there because these masters are so angry that their prophet was gone. Now, what in the world, if, if God had said to Paul and Silas, go to Macedonia. If, if they would said that and they get there and this happens, what in the world is going on? What is going on is that God has a plan. And even when things are so difficult in our lives, God has a plan that He is working out. This is no more. This is what I call the 828 principle in practice. All things work together for good. doesn't mean all things are good. I'll keep teaching this for you. Make sure you get it clear because it's been mistaught. All right? All things work together for good. To those who love God, who are the called according to God. His purpose. The bottom line is, is that God is going to bring great good out of this situation. He's got a plan that he's working out. But it's his purpose and not Paul's purpose and not Silas's purpose that matters. So the truth is, often when we journey through life, there's some difficult times. And we are tempted to think that God's not in control. Some, what you said today, the songs you sang, were are just laying it out perfectly we often think when difficult times come that god has failed us that god has let us down that god's on vacation that god doesn't care if god cared why am i going through this and we don't understand the 828 principle that he is working out his purpose now understand too this is for christ followers and it reminds us over and over again that we're not home yet That there is coming a better time and a better place. And in this world, Jesus said, in this world, we will have what? Tribulation. We will have tribulation. But then he says this, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Now, there are three quick verses. Let me just share with you because they're so powerful. And yes, the, it gives three different people and how they understood this concept that God is in control, that God has a plan, that God's working out his plan, even when it's hard and when it's difficult. And the first one's Paul. You know, it was said one time, it was kind of cute then, it's probably not cute now, but you know, we preachers a little cute things we say. And, and this little pastor said, this pastor said that, that Paul, when he went to a city, didn't check out the hotels, he checked out the jails because that's ultimately where he's going to go. I mean, Paul, spent a, Paul was a lot better off, in quotes, when he wasn't a Christ follower. He had power, he had authority, he had wealth, he had prestige. And when he received Christ, all that went away. All that went away. He went place to place to place. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. All these things happened. Now listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Listen to what Paul says about this. Now listen. Remember, Paul was a guy who put his pants on just like you and I. Okay? He's not some some superhero with super-endowed powers other than God. All right, here it is. Now, I want you to know, Philippians chapter 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me... The shipwrecks, the beatings, this beating, other beatings, um, um, being threatened with death, ambushed, all those things. What has happened to me, the Bible says, so that it has become, uh, I'm sorry, has actually happened in the advance of the gospel. What has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the Imperial Guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for the cause of Christ. Paul is saying, listen, this stuff has happened to me. God's in control, God's in charge, and it's for the advancement of the gospel. I know, I know. Some preacher told you something different. Some preacher told you if you pray a prayer, that you'd never get sick. That you'd never lose your job, That your kids would never need braces. You're supposed to kind of, that's the best it's going to get for funny today. You might want to grab a hold of that one and take it with you. That our life would be perfect and easy. Well, you know what? There is a perfect life coming. But it is not on planet earth. In fact, once again, take a look. Get in your Bible and read the futures of the men closest to Jesus. One lived to a ripe old age of probably 90 years old, imprisoned on an island. Everyone else died. Martyred. God never said easy. God never said easy. God never said prosperous. But God did say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. And one day, one day, by his grace, we will be with him in heaven. And that's when the good life really comes. That's when the good life really, really comes. So, so we have Paul saying, hey, all this happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Then we got to be careful for time. I, I'm very aware. You know, but we got Joseph. all you need to know about Joseph, he was Old Testament. He's one of 12 brothers. His brothers didn't like him because he was boastful. They decided they were going to kill him. They changed their mind and sold him off as a slave. He ends up in, in Egypt. Things are bad. They got tolerable, okay, because of who was his master. Then it went really south again. Then it got tolerable. And finally, Joseph ends up, believe it or not, second in command of Egypt. Brothers show up hungry. Eventually, dad shows up. His brothers, the one that sold him into slavery, and dad are there. Dad finally dies. The brothers go, this is not looking good. We sold this dude into slavery. Brother or not, he is going to kill us. Let's tell him dad said that he has to be nice to us. And so they lied and said, dad said, you got to be nice to him. Now listen to his response. Talking to his brothers. This is Genesis chapter. You might want to write this one down. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You planned evil against me. Look at his brothers. He said, you planned evil. I would call being sold into slavery evil. Amen? I I would think that that qualifies as evil. You You planned evil against me. God, God, God planned it for good to bring about the present result. The survival of many people. Way to go, Joseph. He had it in his mind. I know you men planned it for evil, but God had a plan to bring about the present result, the survival of many. God used Joseph in a great famine, and people had food because of his leadership and his wisdom. You need to write this down. Judy said, Dwayne, this is a tweet. I don't know how you do a tweet. But God is more interested in the survival of many than the comfort of one. God is more interested in the survival of many than the comfort of one. There is a great big world out there with billions of people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people in our town who have never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus will do everything, God will do everything to bring them at least into the information of the gospel that they may choose or reject Jesus how far will God go? A Roman cross. How far will God go? God became flesh and dwelt among us for the purpose of dying shamefully on our cross. God became flesh for the purpose of experiencing the wrath of His Father. God became flesh for the purpose of dying for us. How far will God go? All the way to the cross. And listen, we're part of this. No, no, no. Listen, God doesn't have a plan B. We're His plan A, and there's not a plan B. God has challenged His church, His church, to be the mouthpiece, the hands and the feet, and the wallets, with Lottie Moon coming up, of making sure that this word of the gospel is spread. You meant for evil. But God had a plan for the survival of the many. And then there's Jesus. And then there's Jesus who... I know this. Sometimes I hear people talk about a debate this. But then there's Jesus who I believe, and I think the Bible backs it up, fully understood the ramifications of this cross. He fully understands. The pain, understood the pain and the agony that he was going to go through. I, be, I believe he fully understood what the wrath of his father was going to be like. Um, I, again, we're all, I still resist saying it, but it's true, it's biblical that he experienced spiritual death on the cross. When, when the father turned his back on him and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned God? Why have you turned your back on me? And it's because He became sin. Because you know the, the punishment of God was upon His father was upon Him. All of that. Here's what He said. Let's what He said. He said in John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. Why well, would think so? Now my soul is troubled. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour. God, deliver me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Now listen, Father, glorify your name. Oh, oh, that we, we grace experiencers, we, the ones who have experienced this incredible grace, will be able to say, Father, glorify your name. Even when it's difficult, glorify your name. So, so Paul understood it. Joseph got it. Jesus certainly understood it, that there is an 828 principle. That God is working His purpose out in our lives. And I would still say for our good and for His glory. Now you need to understand that. Okay? See, we can, we can say, I don't like that. I wish the Bible didn't say that. It doesn't change the fact it does. Nor does it follow the fact that as a Christ follower, it is your truth. And the teaching you receive from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit. As he anointed this book. So. In verse number 25. The Bible says. Now we're going to go slow here. The Bible says about midnight. I I love. I love the details. And don't overlook these. I love the details that God gives us in his word. I, I don't think they're arbitrary words. I think every detail is given to us on purpose. And I don't know about you, but we understand today, when you think midnight, you think darkness. You think middle of the night. You think hard time, dark time. I'm in the midnight of a point in my life. Let me give you a couple facts that you ought to write down. The first one is this, that God does his best work at midnight. You don't like that. Thank you for the amens. But most of us push back from that. God does his best work at midnight. In the midnights of our life, in the midnights of our life, it's then that we really cry out to God. It's when that prayer that I taught you last week that you may have already forgotten, God help me. It doesn't happen when you got a promotion. It, It doesn't happen when you get another healthy checkup. It usually happens when difficulty comes and we cry out, God help me. God does his best work at midnight. And you know what else? Another fact? God works the night shift. God works the night shift. He is there for us. As we go through our midnights, he's there. Working the night shift, still being God, never takes a vacation, never takes a holiday, never takes a day off. Always working the night shift. So let me ask you this question now, and the question is, what does your midnight look like? One of our dear friends sitting right here with Robin, and I think she left, experienced the death of her brother. Uh, it was just, Robin, it was just, I think, last week. Okay. She, she came to me and said, Would you pray? And then she came up to me with tears in her eyes today and said, He's gone. I don't remember her exact words, but the implication was, God, God didn't do. It's hard, folks. What does your midnight look like? Does it involve an ICU unit in the middle of the night as you listen to the, the heart rate of your loved one go slower and slower and slower? Does it involve a child that's gone awry and you don't understand and you're doing your best, you're praying for them, and that child continually goes down a wrong path? Is that what your midnight looks like? Is your midnight attached to American coal as Mr. Murray thinks he needs to lay more people off and you've worked for him and now you have no paycheck to feed your family? What does your midnight look like? And I'll tell you this, I don't know too many people without midnights. I know a lot of people who forget and don't understand. And I Listen, my life is too good. I told you this last week. My life is too good. But... I know there's a lot of people who when midnight comes don't understand that God is working His purpose out. God doesn't allow suffering for fun. God has a purpose in His suffering at midnight. What does your midnight look like? What do you do at midnight? That's the other question. You want me to tell you what I do at midnight? I sleep. Don't call me Unless there's an extreme emergency. If you've got a cold, call me in the morning. If you've got an emergency, call me anytime. But at midnight, if you drive by the Taylor household, yes, all the lights are on. I guess we own stock in the electric company. I don't know. Someone said, why do you leave all your lights on? I didn't have an answer. I got the 13-watt kind. I know that. But you won't find a light on in the bedroom because Dwayne's sleeping at midnight. And that is fine unless I'm the pilot of an aircraft and it's midnight and I'm in the seat. See there are times when sleeping at midnight's fine. But when God has placed you in a midnight spiritually, it is not a time for sleep. It's a time for action. What do you do during your midnight? It's crucial, I think it's crucial to the kingdom and it's crucial for you. For you, what do you do in your midnight? Well, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How about that? They've been beaten with rods, their hands and feet are chained, and their feet are in stocks, and and they have they're unjustly there. And it is dark, and it's midnight figuratively, and it's midnight time wise. And these two men of God are praying and singing. How about that? The guy who wrote, pray always, pray continually, pray without ceasing, guess what he's doing? He's praying. Don't you like preachers who practice what they preach? And they're singing. I promise you, I promise you it's not, nobody knows the troubles I feel. I don't think that was on the playlist that night. I can tell you this. I believe I can authentically tell you what they were praying. And I think I can also authentically tell you it probably wasn't God let me go. I believe it was more the garden prayer Thy will be done. And you say, well, okay, Dwayne, how do you authenticate that? From Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been locked up for healing a guy and saying they did it in the name of Jesus. The guys got all mad at him, okay? The leaders did, got all mad about that. They finally threatened him, let him go. And the people were praying while while they were locked up. And when they got there, they had another prayer meeting. This is how... The early church prayed. Paul and Silas were part of the early church. This is how they had prayer meetings. This is Acts chapter um, uh, 4 verse 26. Let me get it. I'm sorry. Yeah, Acts 4 20, 27. Here's their prayer. Part of it. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together. Against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. They said, God, we don't understand all about Calvary yet. We don't understand his flogging. We don't understand the nails. We don't understand his death. But we're sure of this that Pontius Pilate and Herod were puppets in your hand. Isn't that awesome? See, you think people got control. You think Satan's got control. Satan ain't got control, and people don't have control. God's got control. He said, he said what you predestined in your hand. I love that. And now, Lord, and now, Lord, this is verse 20, 29. Consider their threats and grant that your slaves, I like that, your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Their prayer was, hey God, Peter and John just got out of jail. They didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for deliverance. They said, God, we know you're in control. And God, give us boldness to speak. I didn't hear a single amen. They prayed not for deliverance, not for, not for God protect. God, your will be done. God, help us to speak with boldness. Now watch this. This is interesting. So when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and guess what? And began to speak God's message with boldness. See, the early church did that praying God's will thing, and God answered and heard their prayer. That's how the church went. So, so what were they praying that night? I think they were praying for boldness. I think they were praying for God's will to be done. I think they are praying for God's purpose to be done. What were they singing? Now, I don't have a clue. I, I will tell you this. The Psalm, the book of Psalms is the Jewish hymn book. So they were probably singing psalms. And David, this is why... I was not surprised at all. But I wrote down in my notes, they were probably singing, when peace, when he sang this, I wasn't surprised. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, whatever, and how the rest of it goes. It is well It is well with my soul. What were they singing? They were singing praise to God. God, your creator, Satan is not. God, your creator, Herod is not. God, your creator, Pilate is not. God, you're the creator, not my circumstances. And you know why? And the prisoners were listening. Guess when your neighbors hear you best at your midnight. When you're in that ICU room room we talked about. And a nurse walks up or someone walks up. And you're sharing how even in this difficult time that your God was faithful. That God is good. people hear then. When you're standing in line at the casket of your loved one and you can say this is one of the hardest things I've gone through but I still believe my God is faithful. They hear. They hear. So I guess I'm trying to say it's important what you pray at midnight. It's important what you sing at midnight because people who need to hear are hearing. See how important this is? Because listen, in your world, they're lost people. In your world, they're lost people. And they often won't hear a guy with reverend in front of his name, a brother. Oh, but they'll hear you. And it just seems like God just jerks the wax out of the ears for them to hear the clearness of the gospel in your midnight. That's why midnights are important. Now, we're, I, we don't have time to do all this. Now I'm trying to decide what to do. Let's look at verse 26, though. We can go that far anyway. Actually, we'll have to go a little further. Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. Wow. They're praying. Earthquake. Doors fly off the hinges. Chains fall off. And you think, obviously, whoo-hoo. Look what God has done, not so fast. See, that's the problem. We've not learned to wait upon the Lord. We take something that appears obvious and take it as the only solution that God has. God may have a bigger purpose in mind than the immediate thing that happens. Because the Bible says that this jailer guy, verse 27, the guy who put them in the inner prison... When the jailer woke up... See, he went to bed large and in charge. Just remember that. When when he went to bed, he was the king of the mountain. He was in charge. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, his world was then imploding. He drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, quickly, again, the deal was this. If you worked for the Roman government and you failed, you died. And so if his prisoners escape, that's why he put them in the inner prison, guard them well. They were going to kill him. He figured his death was going to be easier if he fell on a sword than if the Roman government took care of it for him. One heartbeat away. One heartbeat away. He's down, his sword is against the ground, and he's leaning over. One heartbeat away. How many of our friends, neighbors, loved ones, children, aunts, uncles are one heartbeat away? Not from heaven, but hell. Now that should make you think. Oh, we need to ramp up our prayers. Oh, we need to ramp up our praise. One heartbeat away and Paul cries out and says Paul called out in a loud voice don't harm yourself I think Paul Paul was so much like God in this moment because you remember when when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac God spoke and said no don't and as this man's fixing to kill himself take his life Paul cries out and says don't we are all here. Question. Why? I think one, the influence of the gospel. Remember, I told you those prisoners are listening? They're like this. They're going, we don't know what's all going on, but we're going to stick around for the end of the story. This might be a long sermon, but I ain't leaving. Incredible. I think the influence of Paul and Silas as they prayed and sang the gospel impacted those men. You know, if you're a prisoner, you've been out the door. But they weren't. They weren't. And secondly, the whole earthquake thing, it wasn't about escape. Listen, the earthquake was not their rescue. It was the jailer's rescue. See what I'm saying? That's why you just got to slow down and wait. The obvious thing was, they're in jail. God sends an earthquake, sets them free. Out the door we go. Paul recognized and said, no, this isn't about my freedom. It's about his freedom. Someone say amen. That's incredible. That's so powerful. This is going to help you understand as you journey through this life and things go crazy. You're going, God, what in the world are you doing? He's sending earthquakes. It just might not be for your benefit, but for someone else's. Because remember, God's more interested in the survival of many than the comfort of the one. Okay, real quick. We're going to wrap this sucker up. He came into them, and we'll end with verse 30. He came into them. He fell down, trembling. You wonder why he's trembling? Can you figure it out? One heartbeat. He came that close to killing himself. One heartbeat. He's trembling and then he says these words. He takes them out and serves. What must I do to be saved? That is so powerful. You know, here recently a couple of the families in the church had the stomach flu. There's like a list of 12 things I don't want to do and throw up as number one. Ask me how close I was to to these people during this time. Ask them. They'll tell you. From a distance, I love you. I know you say you're well, but what if there's cooties left? I can see them jumping from here. I wasn't close because I didn't want what they had. When that jailer saw what Paul and Silas had, he said, I want it. I will So good. I've seen you. I've heard you. Probably is more accurate. I heard you in your midnight, and you weren't cursing your God. You weren't whining about your God. You were praising your God. I heard your song in the night. You weren't singing a pity melody. You were singing praises to your God. And your God orchestrated what would seem a rescue for you, but you're still here. There must be a reason for that. What must I do to have what you got? I'm going to tell you the truth. When the church of the living God starts living like that, that baddest tree is going to stay wet a whole lot. But as long as the church, the world looks at the church the way it is, they're not sure they want what we got. Too often, it looks like the spiritual stomach flu. And not redemption, grace, joy, and thankfulness. So here's the deal. How far will God go To save a man? You are not even going to like this. He probably will go... Willing to go far enough to make you uncomfortable. Because God's more interested in the survival of many than the comfort of one. And since God does His best work at midnight and He works the night shift, there's just a possibility that He may allow some midnights to come... Not because he doesn't like you, not because he's mad at you, but one for your good and his glory and your neighbor's salvation. (laughs) Because God really loves this world. Amen? He loves this world. You know, we've got a missionary couple in a very difficult place. They didn't go because it was easy. They went because... No, God, worse night shift. There's a couple sitting right over here where you guys at, right there. Chris and Kim, you've got to come back tonight. You've got to come back tonight. They're going to tell you their story, how God has called them to Spain, and how we can support them and gird them. You've got to come back tonight. But they're not leaving America because Spain is easy. Spain is about as lost as any place there is. But they'll leave the American comfort. To go because they believe God and God works the night shift. And then when the ICU comes and the funeral homes come and the lawyer comes, well, God works the night shift. How far will God go to save a man? That far. And with us, far enough to let us go into the midnight. What do you do in the midnight? We shall be thankful, we shall praise, and we shall pray. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you for your patience this morning. Thank you so much. Maybe we'll tag the rest of this on on a Wednesday night sometime. I wouldn't change anything, by the way, this morning. It was awesome. And I've got some folks moving, so I hope you if, if you'll just stick around another 10 minutes or so for the invitation, we'd be very appreciative of that. So my, my invitation is one, one, so if you're in a midnight right now, I'm, I'm calling you, I'm asking as your pastor. It's not easy, but I'm asking you to trust God in your midnight, in your midnight. You can trust him. God is faithful, God is good, and God can be trusted. God is faithful, God is good, and God can be trusted. He's not forsaking you. He loves you. And maybe you're here today and you saw yourself in that jailer. And you remember now, oh, 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 I remember my neighbor was a Christian and he went through a midnight. And he trusted God. And now I know what it was. It was God. It wasn't him. It wasn't that he was a nice person. It was God. And maybe today you're ready and you're willing to put your faith in trust, turning from your sin. And choosing to follow Jesus. It's a commitment. For beyond a lifetime. I'll be down front. And I'll be glad to share with you. Glad to share with you today. About how Jesus can come into your life. Change your life forever. We're going to have the uh, team play and sing. We're going to have you stand just a moment. Let me pray for us. God, I love you today. You are so good. You're incredible. When I think about how the Holy Spirit has preserved your word and the details that you've included for our edification today, I'm very grateful. So God, I pray one for my friend today who has never trusted Christ. They might be asking that question. What must I do to be saved? Oh, give them the faith. Draw them, Father, to your son Jesus and give them the faith to believe. Father, for my church family, my friends, My family today Oh Father A lot of hurt Think about Brother George up there In in, uh, the hospital in Barnes George T. Garden Father we had two or three people With surgeries this week This dear precious sister in Robin And this loss in their family Oh Father There's some midnights going on And I don't need to ask you to be faithful Because I already know you are But help them Father Help them to sense your presence in this darkness and know that you'll never leave and you'll never forsake, that you'll always be there and that you do your best work in the midnight. Thanks, God. We certainly love you today. Use this decision time as you see fit. And Jesus, I pray this in your name.